0: Welcome to the Marvel Events Timeline, the podcast that takes you
1: on a journey through Timely, Atlas, and Marvel Comics, one event at a time. Here are your hosts, Travis Bowe and Brian Lockhart. Welcome to the Marvel Events Timeline, the podcast that takes you through the Marvel Comics universe one event at a time. My name's Travis Bowe from Real Comic Heroes,
0: and I'm Brian Lockhart from the Marine Corps
1: Movie Minute podcast. And uh, yeah, this is episode one. We're here to to take you through Marvel Comics number one, which is primarily the introduction of people like uh, the Human Torch and Namor, the Submariner, and then a couple other stories are featured in that uh, that magazine. So, yeah,
0: far less notable stories.
1: Yeah, so yeah, um, this is uh, it's pretty exciting for me. This is our our first uh, you know, we 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 had a pilot episode, but uh, this is our first proper episode, and uh, we're gonna take you through this book. Um, I'm gonna talk about the Human Torch, and then a little bit later, Brian's gonna take you through the Submariner and talk about you know his introduction, and and then we'll we'll talk about the the rest of the issue. Um, there are some things I think that are important. In this issue, for the rest of the Marvel Comics universe, but it's primarily the the Human Torch and the and, the, and Namor that I think have the, the more of a presence throughout the eighty plus years of of Marvel Comics.
0: Yeah, you don't hear much else about what what else was in the book other than these two. So we'll we'll start there yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to talk about the the Human Torch, and uh, I guess I'll I'll do a synopsis of the story, just kind of in loose kind of general terms, and then I'm going to talk about Carl Burgos, the the creator of the Human Torch, and kind of his history, and then we'll go into a little bit more of a deeper look of the issue it's, of the story itself. Uh, but the the synopsis for the story, it starts with Professor Phineas Horton. And he creates a synthetic man who ignites into a uh, this man on fire whenever he comes into contact with oxygen. This synthetic man is an android, and uh, he he shows him off to some colleagues, and they decide, you know, they they warn Horton that you know this this thing you've created is too dangerous to to let loose. You know, you need to to destroy it. You know, Horton eventually kind of concedes and realizes that, yeah, this, this guy's too dangerous until I can figure out a way to control his, uh, his flaming, you know, this thing, this, this ability that he didn't even foresee, it just happens. And, uh, so he decides he's going to entomb the human torch in, uh, in, in cement, and then he'll, he'll figure out a way to control him. you know, once he has time, but then you come to find out that there's a a oxygen leak or uh, some kind of leak in this concrete tomb that is formed, and, sl- and little by little, slowly enough oxygen reaches the torch that one day he just explodes out of this block of concrete, and then uh, kind of goes on a, a a little bit of a rampage, but not like a a violent, you know, uh, malicious way. Just more of like a newborn android who doesn't understand what he is just kind of going through town and, and setting a few things on fire. Yeah.
0: It, it's definitely unintentional.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, this uh, he ends up crossing paths with the the villainous racketeer, Mr. Sardo and ends up uh, Sardo ends up trying to use the torch as a tool in his protection, you know, racketeering sort of scheme. And then the, the torch eventually discovers that he's being used and, and manipulated into into this evil scheme and uh so he puts a stop to Sardo and uh and then even when he sort of uh teams back up with Professor Horton, he decides even then that he doesn't want to be used for, for Horton's, you know, uh not schemes, but, you know, his uh he, he wants to go out and be on his own and be his own man and and figure out you know, he doesn't want to be used by anybody, so that's kind of where the issue ends with him just flying off, and and you don't know what's next for the Human Torch.
0: Well, we'll have to tune in, uh, yeah, tune in to the next issue, <laughs> if not the next yeah. episode, but at least the next issue, <laughs> to find out. You know, they they do absolutely. Yeah, these both um, both of these main stories at least leave you with a little bit of a hook, which is you know pretty common for comics.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they both even end, you know, they they have a little caption at the end, you know, tune in next time for the the next installment, you know, of course. So Um, I'm going to I'm going to talk about Carl Burgos, the man behind the Human Torch. It's not he it's not a name that I had ever heard of. You know, it's not a he's not a Stan Lee or a Jack Kirby or, you know, you know, these names that you hear about for for decades of, of this long running history um, but, you know, Carl Burgos has a, 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 I think, a pretty interesting history. He's not somebody that, you know, you hear much about. Um,
0: Which is surprising but, uh, considering the Human Torch is, you know, Marvel Comics is what Marvel Comics is today, especially with the MCU. And Mar- his his creation, the Human Torch, is on the cover of Marvel Comics number one that everybody cites right. as the birth of Marvel. And yet you yeah. don't hear his name thrown around the same way you do a lot of the other, even Joe Simon and, and those type mm-hmm. of guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it's, it's really strange. And maybe some of that will not necessarily be brought to light with, with what I'm about to kind of go into, but, um but uh yeah,
0: like I didn't, I didn't look up much about him other than previously I had done some research on, on, comic creators who served in the military. And I know Carl, yeah, Carl Burgos was, was in the military. And I, unfortunately, I, that's something I should have looked at beforehand, (laughs) but I know that, you know, World War II, he did, he did serve in some capacity.
1: Yeah. I've got a little bit of that. You know, I don't have a lot of, there's, there's not a lot of history on Carl. Um, It's, it's pretty much his, his Wikipedia page. You know, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, and there's some articles that I used as, as, you know, for research and, and everything, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, surprised that, you know, he was born on April 18th in 1916, which I don't know if a little behind the, the scenes, uh, that is tomorrow. And, and as far as when we're recording, um, oh. tomorrow being April 18th and that's my birthday. So, Hey, Carl and I share, share a birthday, <laughs> which I think is kind of cool. It's, it's um, fate. Yeah. Yeah. He was born Max Finkelstein in, uh, in New York city. And, uh, I, I'm guessing, you know, it, it's an unfortunate, like it's one of those, it was necessary to change his name for, to, to get work, you know, professionally. Um, I think that's a, a thing that a lot of uh, Jewish people in the you know thirties and forties and everything, well. Yeah, yeah, born in in 1916. So yeah, he would have been. Um, I feel like it was the mid 30s when he was, you know, working professionally. So, you know, I think he had to had to change his name uh, for that reason. I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, it it well also Finkelstein is a lot harder to print, you know, than sure. Burgos. But you're right. I mean, <laughs> that's that yeah. that was a common it, thing for especially people in the entertainment industry to change have a stage mm-hmm. name. Yeah. Or a pen name.
1: Right. I don't know where the name comes from. You know, you think it would be like, like Stan Lieberman shortens it to Stan Lee. You know, I don't know where Carl Burgos comes from. You know, it doesn't sound like Max Finkelstein. You know, it's not, you know, Max Finkel or Carl Finkel or, you know, I I don't know. I don't know where the name came came from, but uh, I'd like to find out. Uh, unfortunately, I, I haven't found any other real, you know, deep sources of of information for Carl. But uh, so he uh, he goes to the National Academy of Design in Manhattan. Um, after one year, he leaves because quote I couldn't learn enough. And that statement really grabbed me because I, I is it I personally couldn't learn what they were trying to teach me. Does that mean? i i tried to learn so much and they couldn't offer everything i wanted to know i, I i'm not quite certain i understand what that what that uh, statement means well if, um,
0: if i could interject um, I, I mean i don't please. know but you'll you'll be shocked to find that somebody else who worked on this book also went to that same school and also left early
1: <laughs> mm. okay
0: <laughs> so you know well I'll say you know to, to show my hand a little bit Bill Everett who worked on the submariner also went to that same school and he I think it's a three-year program and he dropped out after a year and a half uh, okay. now now Bill Everett was a little bit more of a restless soul uh, let's just say so but okay. what what I read was um at least about Carl and Bill, is that they were both frustrated with um, the lack of, like, like Bill Everett considered that he had talent given to him by God. He didn't, it wasn't him, it was just like he had natural talent he was born with, and really no school could kind of help him. So I think they just were, my guess is they were outpacing what was being taught in school, and that they grew restless and wanted to get going with their lives. That's I I I read that a little bit about Carl as well. Okay. It's just a little blurb that they, they kind of lumped those two together. Is yep, they went there and they just, it wasn't enough for them. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Maybe it was, yeah, maybe just a school that, that maybe once, maybe on the surface, you know, it sounded good. And when they're there, it's like, oh, this place is a little, uh, you know, fly by night maybe, or, or, you know, not what it seemed it, maybe. Yeah.
0: It's kind of, well, what is it? Um, Ron Swanson when he went to uh, like home Depot and <laughs> the guy comes up, he's like, I, yeah. I know more than you. <laughs> yeah. That, that's uh, that's Bill and Carl. They're like, I already know more than you. Okay. I'm out of here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after he leaves uh, the national Academy of design, he goes to work for Franklin engraving, uh, the Franklin engraving company, which they engrave the printing plates for comic books. He he goes to work in 1938 for the Henry or sorry Harry A. Chesler, who runs a comic book packager, which is a concept I wasn't really aware of until you know doing this research. That a, a comic book packager is a company that they outsource comic book artists. So because at this point it's not Marvel Comics yet, but Let's, let's let's call it marvel comics for for you know expediency right, for ease. they are putting together this magazine and they don't have a bullpen of artists and writers you know the way that marvel comics will in the 60s you know people that are there in the office day in day out you know working on solely on marvel comics stories like so you hire you know if you're a, a Martin Goodman wanting to put together this Marvel Comics number 1 you hire Harry A Chesler or the Chesler Chesler group i think is what he kind of runs the company under uh, so you hire the Chesler group and you're going to get a basically a freelance artist and writer and, and Carl Burgos and i think also Bill Everett like they're they're the writer and the artist for these books so you're you're hiring this, uh, this, you know, you, you get in contact with Harry Chessler and you say, I need, I need five stories for this magazine. And Harry looks at his group of people and he says, okay, I'll give you, I'll give you Carl. He's got a story that he can put together. I'll give you Bill and I'll give you, you know, so-and-so who whoever else. And they write, you know, they, they work up this story. So, uh, it just happens to be, you know, when, uh, on Marvel comics, number one, that, this is the book that that Carl is gonna put this story in. If if he was hired by, you know, national publications, Human Torch may have ended up as a DC character. Right. You know, it just I think it just happens to be that that this story ends up in this book because they hired yeah. this, you know, uh, pool of, of freelance writers, basically. Yeah,
0: and when we get to Bill Everett, I I I have a little, you know, little piece of um a nugget of information regarding something just like that, actually. So, okay, and yeah, okay. basically, yeah, the, the the packagers were middlemen <laughs> between artists yeah. and, and publishing companies. Uh, I mean, I if you do, you, we could talk about it now since you brought it up, or if you want to wait, but yeah, like, please, like yeah, pretty much Marvel Comics number one was completely produced, not by Marvel or at the time, timely. Um, mm. it was Martin Goodman bought the. The book 100% from Funnies Incorporated, which was, right. you know, I don't know if you, you looked any of that up. but
1: th- A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I
0: mean, basically it was a company started by, Loy- it was his name, Lloyd Jaquette. He was the art publisher, art director for um, Golden Age. No, sorry. He was the art director for Cent- Centaur. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So and they were since our publications. Yeah, Yeah. and and Bill Everett actually co wrote, co created Amazing Man with him. So him, Mm Bergos, and pretty much everybody, there was a bunch of guys. They all formed the company Funny Zinc, and they just they got they had this crappy warehouse they worked out of, (laughs) and I think it would think it was Lloyd knew Martin Goodman, and they basically he's like, hey, you know, comics is a good thing right now, and and they convinced him to publish. Marvel Comics number one from, you know, completely uh, created by Funnies Incorporated. And as a matter of fact, they said they had so much freedom back then because they could write whatever they wanted and the publishers bought it as is. So it was no like editorial or it was like, I produce something for you, you buy
1: it. Oh yeah, there's definitely no editorial staff on this <laughs> in this book. We'll we'll get into some of that later. I think. That's true. <laughs> but so
0: yeah, that was it was bought as is. You know, buyer beware type thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But
0: you know, over time that just didn't work because yeah. it's those t- packagers were were just basically middlemen, and and it was just was easier for
1: the publishers to take care of everything themselves yeah go directly to the artists and yeah, yeah. um yeah i I found that like, some of Carl's early work at the chessler shop like he started out uh doing like back drawing backgrounds for other people's work, um doing panel borders and then inking some finished pencils uh like i said of of other people's work, and then when he's at the Chesler shop, he gets a, a six-page story called "The Last Pirate," and this is for Centaur Publications in their uh, Star Comics. So he does that. He do, he creates a robot hero, uh, Iron Skull, in which is an awesome name, uh, for Centaur's Amazing Man Comics number five. Uh, yeah, Iron Skull. I'd love to to see what that is.
0: I, I mean, somebody needs to pick that name up and and make a like a like a either a Iron Man villain or an Iron Man ally? The Iron yeah. uh, Punisher should have been the Iron Skull.
1: <laughs> well, in in I think he's running and not currently, but he has put on the War Machine armor. Oh yeah, so that's kind of
0: yeah. See, that's uh, that an idea that started back in the '30s. So <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Uh, so yeah, like you said, Burgos and uh, Everett. You know, they're they move over to Funnies Inc. and then that's where uh, I think it's. Uh, Martin Goodman, and I, I think we'll talk a lot about Martin Goodman. That's going to be a name I think that that comes up a lot. Um, he, at this point, yeah, he's formed Timely Comics, and he hires, like you said, funnies to supply the content for Marvel Comics number one, and it uh, comes out in October of 1939, and then number two. The second issue come becomes Marvel Mystery Comics, so there really is no Marvel Comics number two. It becomes Marvel Mystery Comics. Yeah,
0: they, uh, you know, I, and I've seen many resources put it uh, just like this that said, you know, Martin did not have any trouble renaming stuff or, <laughs> or you know, just <laughs> oh yeah, because yeah. as you'll see, how the company's name changed a hundred times, and yeah, I, I thought it was odd that it went right from Marvel Comics number one to Marvel Mystery Comics, but. Yeah. I'm sure there was a, a rationale at the time,
1: yeah, I'm sure mystery is just a good buzzword, you know yeah. um, you know, plus
0: not every, it's kind of there's there's different types of stories in the book and,
1: that, and yeah, that so like yeah, because we've got a couple quote unquote superheroes <laughs> with uh, Torch and Namor, and then you got a western story. Uh, I guess there's an angel story, which it is more superhero, superhero and then, uh, book. Kazar, kind of like pulpy, though.
0: Yeah. You know, like oh, like, yeah. like very yeah. much like reminded me of like the shadow or phantom more than yeah. say bat. Well, a little bit of. I guess it was a little bit of Batman, maybe. Yeah, but we'll we'll get there.
1: Uh, so yeah, uh, Marvel Comics number one sold eighty thousand copies, and uh, it goes to a second printing of eight hundred thousand.
0: Yeah, uh, I saw that that was actually a better, it was better than DC's average at the time. So so okay. it was a big hit. That's why they were like, hey, let's keep doing this.
1: Yeah. Uh, Martin Goodman, he hires, uh, from Funnies Inc., he hires Joe Simon, Jack Kirby, and uh, Sid Shores. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure, talk about them in the future. Some familiar names. I'm not uh, too familiar with Sid Shores, but uh, I know what... We will talk about his work in the future, uh, but needless to say, you know, Human Torch was was instantly popular. Uh, so popular that he he's one of the first uh, characters to headline their own title. You know, most of these these characters show up in like a Marvel comics where it's it's a magazine of you know five or six stories. It's not a it's it, it, Human Torch number one. Well, Human Torch is is you know, one of the, like I said, one of the first characters to get their own Human Torch comic. Um, but there is no Human Torch number one, and that's because there was a character called Red Raven that, uh, the, I think the character wasn't doing particularly well, so you take Red Raven number one, you cancel that book, and, Issue number two becomes Human Torch, so uh, kind of a weird. I kind of respect the like we're not going to rename or renumber this book. We're just going to you know bring out number two, change the title, and uh, you know nowadays you've got like every year you get a new Punisher volume or a new Captain America volume or I think X Men is is about to start at uh, X Men number one again, you know. Um, so renumbering is one of those those kind of pet peeves, one of those things that just drives me crazy with comics. So I
0: like when they went back to the original numbering when it was started coming to anniversaries, and then they went right back to yeah. just oh, it's a new number one again. It's like oh, I, yep, I finally
1: yep. had my collection straight. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, uh, the Human Torch it begins to pop up in several places. You know, Marvel Mystery Comics. Uh, like I said Human Torch his own book uh he he's popping up in Captain America comics um over in titles like All Select and All Winners and Daring Comics and Mystic yeah Mystic or sorry Mystic Young Allies or those might be separate um books Mystic and Young Allies but uh and then War uh <laughs> Uh you know, nineteen forty uh forty one oh, you know, I... US uh US enters enters World War Two and uh Carl Carl goes uh you know, he, he signs up. He goes to uh I guess he signed up in nineteen forty two, but uh yeah, he starts in the, the US Army Air Corps, uh for which he took uh infantry ranger training and was sent overseas as a rifleman before being transferred transferred to the Signal Corps and then to an engineer division.
0: I believe Stan so, okay. Lee started out in the Signal Corps until he got. I think yeah, so. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember that because I what I did in the military was very similar to modern day Signal Corps. So I was like, oh look, me and oh, Stan okay. Lee have something in common. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. It, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it like you're putting out like information? Like he's he's working on uh, not newsletters but like news, you know, and, and things like that for the. For the army, I think. Well, he
0: eventually uh, went to do that type of stuff, but when he was actually in the Signal Corps, I believe he was actually doing communications, like comms. Okay. Yeah, like Oh, like, Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. I think they realized who they had, and they're like, "Oh no, no, get him out of there! Get him out of!" <laughs> he was. He wasn't <laughs> there long, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They put him to work where, because, you know, during World War II, they they did a better job of trying to fit people who did a certain job in their civilian life into a role. That that they needed, you know, with such a massive war effort like that. So yeah, guys like Stan Lee went and did propaganda stuff, basically more or less, you know. Yeah. And but yeah. not everybody did. And maybe we'll talk about old Jack Kirby when we get to some of his stuff later.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so after the war, uh, Carl went back to school. Uh, he studies advertising while still kind of freelancing for Timely and then later Atlas Comics. Um, he's he's working in comics off and on. And like I said, doing some advertising Uh, in the late 40s through the late 50s. He did some work illustrating covers for sheet music books and greeting cards. And then uh, in 1964 and 65, he does some work uh, for now for Marvel Comics. He draws a, a Johnny Storm human torch story in Strange Tales number 123. And then a few giant man stories in uh, Tales to Astonish, 62 through 64. Um, And then uh, in 1966, Carl tries to sue Marvel for the Human Torch um, because of the ownership of of his Human Torch and because Marvel, you know, in 61, you know, they come out with Fantastic Four and you've got this character who's kind of meant to be an homage to his creation of the Human Torch and uh i guess carl feels like you know that's that's like maybe he deserves some some rights to this um you know certainly I, I don't know that i don't know that he isn't entitled to that but on on one hand you know he's he's working for a company and and he you know his services were paid for um you know I, rights rights is, is an interesting thing and i'm sure we'll talk about it um I don't know. I don't know where I stand on, on stuff like this.
0: I mean, <laughs> I, I'm I'm kind of with you on that too. I don't have, I'm not strong. I can't, I'm not strong one way or another because I see both sides of it. You know, like in this regard, Carl did a work for hire, not even work for hire. It was, I produced yeah. something and then I sold it, you know, yeah. to a company for them to then do whatever they want with it. And I'm, I'm basically done. Um, right. Or, or whatever, you know, I I don't know exactly how the rights eventually, you know, worked, but, but, but that was the gist of it. They produced something to, it could have been sold to anybody. It could have been sold to you and me if we walked down the street and, you know, that, that type of thing. Right. Uh, it was once they produce it, it's gone.
1: But I, I think there's, I think there's definitely something to, you know, Marvel should always, have, you know, Human Torch created by Carl Burgos, you know, yeah. they should keep the name, you know, of whoever did that, you know, that created that work, like that should be something that they don't, and I don't know that they ever tried to say that it wasn't created by Carl, but, you know, so I think that the the, art, the artist should be entitled to their name being attributed to that character for, you know, the the remainder of that for all time.
0: Yeah, to me, I always give them the credit, even if it's not, because they can can maybe turn that into something else. You know, like, hey, I'm the guy that did this and they acknowledge it and look how good it's doing there. Let me do something for you, uh, even if they're not. I, I also feel that if a company owns a character they sh- you know maybe some at this point like a percentage point type thing of <laughs>
1: you yeah. know like you they should enter into some kind of new agreement maybe yeah. you know like marvel or i guess you know timely at this time like yeah if the character starts to become popular maybe they should you know say okay we recognize that you created this character we wouldn't have it uh without you so let's let's give you a yeah uh Percentage, or I don't, I don't know how that type of thing works back then, but yeah, maybe re- <laughs>
0: back then it probably didn't work at all. They were like, We uh, yeah. paid you, you're done. Sign this check here that says yeah, you, you got signed it over 500 <laughs> bucks, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, I, but yeah, I would say, but I would think, I would like to think nowadays, kind of like they do with celebrities, you know, that they can't, like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Robert Downey Jr., specifically in Avengers. He's starting to get out of their price range. So what they do is they say, "Hey, yeah. we'll pay a you know a fair fee to to star in this, but you get a percentage point of whatever this movie does." Y- yeah. you would like to think that even if it's like a small percentage point uh, to the creator, that if especially if it's like a work for hire, hey, look, you work for us, you just created Joe Blow, the superhero, but you know we'll give you a one percent. I mean, I'm just throwing any number out there, like 10% of whatever money going forward. So anytime they license that, 10% goes to the creator, that type of thing. Uh, I'm sure publishers don't want to (laughs) lose that much money, but if it's a huge success, you would think, yeah, that, but again, we're not going to solve that here on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. I see both sides of it, basically. Let's just put it like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I especially when when I think when I, I especially side with the publishers when like the family of the third generation of the family is suing for ownership of some character right. and I'm like no I can't have this character not with the rest of the other characters <laughs> so then, then I start getting, but then at, on the flip side I'm like you know they really screwed those guys they really need some stia. Yeah. So it's like there's there's no right or wrong I just hope that going forward there's always a, a better a better way yeah. a fairer uh, way of doing things.
1: Right. It's certainly like, if you watch the documentary, is it Bill the Boy Wonder? It's the documentary about uh, Bill Finger and, and his role in creating Batman and basically being screwed out of legacy you know by Bob Kane you know and you you watch that documentary and you find out at the end of of Bill Finger's life like he died pennil- penniless and buried in a pauper's grave you know basically an unmarked uh grave when you when you're poor and can't afford anything they just kind of throw you in a in a cemetery that's you know it, it, you have a grave marker but it, it, you're not you know it's just very sad you know like even his kid, his son, I think they found out he had a son, um, no one really knew about. And then, you know, it's just, that's, he found his dad, found out that his dad was buried there. It was just, it's very sad the way that, that, that guy's life kind of ended. And whereas like on the flip side, Bob Kane is appearing at, you know, premieres for Batman in in 1989 when the movie's coming out and he's living this, this kind of good life and and everything. Yeah. And his
0: name's all over everything. um, Batman. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So artist rights and and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's, you certainly want to side, I think with the artists, but in in some fashion, it's like, yeah, you were, you were paid to do a job. Um, so I don't know. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's a complicated issue and no easy answers, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Um, so back to, to Carl, you know, he's suing Marvel. It, It essentially it, uh, it got worked out kind of out of court, you know, but I think they kind of settled, um, or I don't, I don't, I think it just kind of went away. Like, I don't think Carl got, got paid for any of, you know, I don't think he really won. It just kind of went away. Like there's a good article we'll link in the, in the show notes, um, uh, via comicsbeat.com. And the article is when Carl Burgos tried to sue for the human torch. So we'll link that below. It's a pretty quick read. So, I'm not going to try and paraphrase all of it here, but, uh, you got some um, some
0: homework for everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of like, uh, of lawsuits and sort that sort of thing, like I'm sure you're aware of the the back and forth with characters in comics and the name captain Marvel. Oh yeah. (laughs) You mean Um, Shazam? So you have, (laughs) uh, sure. (laughs) Um, you have Fawcett comics. They come out with captain Marvel, uh, you know, the, that that Captain Marvel Shazam sort of thing they, and then Marvel comes out with Captain Marvel, and then there's MF Enterprises Captain Marvel, so I, uh, the Nerdist website has a good uh article about the the comic history of all nine Captain Marvels. Oh wow! And so yeah, <laughs> so it, it starts with Fawcett Comics and they create Captain Marvel, you know, aka Billy Batson, you know he. He becomes Captain Marvel when he says Shazam. You know, this is a, a hugely popular character in the I think 40s and 50s. And then DC, uh, yeah, DC Comics. They might have been National at the time. They sue Fawcett because Captain Marvel af- uh, appears to to be identical to Superman. Just kind of visually, you know, they kind of look identical, um, sort of similar power sets and all that. Uh, DC. wins that, that uh, suit and they, it forces Fawcett to retire Captain Marvel. And so in 1966, the name Captain Marvel becomes public domain. And that's when MF Enter- Enterprises and Carl Burgos that create Captain Marvel. He, he's this Android alien who's sent to Earth because his planet is doomed, if that sounds familiar. Um, he's got this, uh, journalist alter ego, uh, Roger Winkle. Hmm. Again, that, you know, it's something where it sounds kind of familiar. Um, he has a young ward named Billy Baxton. <laughs> well, now they're not even yeah. trying to hide it. <laughs> exactly. Um, he has, uh, I think some ally, well, he has some, uh, some enemies called Elastic Man, uh, Dr. Fate. Oh. And uh, he he goes up against the bat, who it, it just it it seems like they're trying to be sued. It's like how can we make a story that just is gonna get us sued? Um, so yeah, he uh, and the Captain Marvel. Yeah, he's this alien that when he says uh he he shouts the catchphrase "split." Oh come on! <laughs> and then like he he all of his limbs like shoot out of his body, so it's like he can you know. His arm and his hand will separate, and uh, you know, punch uh, an enemy. His leg will fly out and kick somebody. I think he, he is. I think his head stays on his torso, but then all of his limbs just go. They like, just shoot out. So um, that character lasted five issues. Uh, basically, it, uh, according to Wikipedia, Marvel sent a cease order, and uh, they worked out a deal. Uh, it sounds like Marvel they they wanted the name they wanted Captain Marvel because they had plans you know and uh, so I think they they worked out something and so that put an end to MF Enterprises you know Captain Marvel character and in let's see yeah so so Marvel's Marvel character debuts in Marvel Superheroes number twelve in December of 1967 and because that's like. The name, like I said, the name Captain Marvel is now like it's in play again. You know, uh, as of 1966, so they can they can use it. And then they, uh, at DC tries to put out, you know, a Captain Marvel, and then they can't use the name Captain Marvel on any comic book covers. They can use it in the story, but all of DC's Captain Marvel comics have to be titled that's why they're all like shazam you know power of shazam right. or, or whatever on the, on the cover because of carl Burgos, some there's some uh you know him just i think just trying to to mess with people it, <laughs> i don't know it sounds like uh, it that
0: almost sounds like we're, yeah. we're either gonna we're gonna mess with them because i'm i'm mad you know and, and this yeah. is how, I'm, this yeah. how i get back at him or it, it's like we're gonna take the piss out of him for a lack of lack of a better word, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just uh, as, as like a joke.
1: Yeah. So then, uh, in 1996, Carl was posthumously elected into the Harvey Awards uh, Jack Kirby Hall of Fame, and in 2016, he was inducted into the Eisner Hall of Fame. Uh, his daughter Susan was there to accept the award, and uh, but yeah, sadly in, in uh, in 1984, Carl Burgos passed away uh, at the age of 67 due to colon cancer. So, oh, huh. um, that's kind of the the life of and and he really never he kind of left comic books after the mostly after the the Captain Marvel thing and the the bit with uh, trying to sue Marvel with Human Torch kind of kind of after the in the mid 60s he kind of left comics and and that's he went did a little bit of like advertising work and, uh, some stuff like that. And, uh, you know, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. It's, it's just, I've seen the name attached to human torch, but beyond that, I didn't know much about Carl.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So a little bit, uh, I'm going to jump, jump back into the actual human torch story proper. I've got a bit about the cover, but since that's, the magazine itself I think we'll we'll come back to it when we when we both talk about the the book itself so it it starts out uh, and I'm gonna get kind of you know kind of treating this like a movies by minutes which uh, you know I guess we should say that it's podcasting format that you and I are are familiar with we'll get into that maybe well we talked about that in our uh, pilot episode so for some of our listeners who aren't aware (laughs) Um, but anyway I'm gonna get into this book a little like granular kind of kind of to the point where like the book starts out with a very odd and inconsistent shape uh, of the panel layouts. Like, I'm just looking at some of these layouts and it's uh, there. It, sometimes it's hard to tell what panel you're going to next because it's not like your classic uh, nine panel grid layout. You, you got some panels like cut into the into other panels. Um, it's just a weird layout. Um, I don't know if you've got it pulled up on your side, Brian, but I, if you kind of go to the, the first proper proper page of the Human Torch, like it's just
0: yeah, I I can see I can see, and I I actually looked ahead, and you can see how it's yeah.
1: it, it kind of throughout the entire. I mean, at some points it it levels back out, and you can clearly see where you're supposed to go next, and and in some cases they add arrows to tell you which panel you're going to next. I've always appreciated that. Um, Sometimes, yeah, that works. Yeah. So, anyways, you know, like I said before, uh, the, it starts with Professor Horton, and he's he's explaining to to these colleagues uh, uh, this character that or this android that he just created, and and he names him the Human Torch, and and you know he's he just flames on uh, with with the slightest contact with oxygen, and he doesn't have a he doesn't know why that happens, which I, I find really uh, strange. <laughs> Yeah, it's not something that you, so so
0: he has no clue. You know he doesn't he doesn't know what materials he used that could have been combustible. Like it's just it's right. Very funny. He's so like, "Well, this just happens."
1: So, yeah, it's this weird side effect. You know, uh, it's so strange. Boggles the mind. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so these guys, you know, they tell him, you know, you need to you need to destroy this guy. Uh, Horton's like, no he well, it's
0: the press that tell him to he invites the press to show well, him
1: i'm just it's, it's these it's these colleagues that say well if you're not going to we're gonna yeah. uh take this to the press and and maybe they'll change your mind that's what
0: it is so, yeah and then it's like yeah. next day read all about it that's right i, yeah. I you know what? that's so funny I, I i read it um initially as he called the press because he wanted to show it off mm. right which, but well, he, he's like, but I need answers. And he's like, well, maybe the press. Right. Will, and, and I took it as the, I was like, so that just, I, I read it as like the press was like, well, we're going to tell you that you, you know, how this is going to work. But yeah. what's, yeah, you're right. Cause, cause I was like, well, cause as you'll get to, he, some, some uh, scientists reach out to him. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, that's why he called the press. Because right. <laughs> I'm like, why yeah. wouldn't he just call it's, those, co- you know,
1: the scientists? Uh, right. <laughs> it's you know, it's- this is what I was I was kind of talking about <laughs> before of like this this story needs an editor, someone to, to to tell Carl like, hey, buddy, you don't need to meet some scientist colleagues and then bring in the press and then bring in more scientists. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can cut out you know half a page of this this stuff if you just have. Uh, maybe have horton displaying this uh character and in front of the press and then uh these three scientists show up yeah um you don't need the back and forth i think of of this yeah
0: kind of like uh captain america uh, the first avenger it was yeah. you know he professor horton brought his his uh his synthetic man to to the World's Fair, so you know yeah. they they could have started with this. I do wonder though if some of that had to do with padding. They had a certain page count they had to get to, and they're just like,
1: uh, what do we do? And that that could be, yeah, maybe it is about. Like, I've got a, I got to fill. You know, I don't I don't know how many pages this story is, but yeah, maybe they have a a quota that they have to fill. That could could be, but uh, yeah. So the. Essentially, these three scientists show up and again, they tell him, you know, you need to destroy this guy. Um, But then it's like one panel later, he says, oh, but maybe I have another uh, idea.
0: Well, it's the, it's the scientist guild that show up actually. And I'm like, what the hell is a scientist guild? It's not like the, right. So I'm like, is this even a thing? Um, I did find that there was actually a lot of colleges that have like clubs that they call them the science guilds or, (laughs) and there's a board game about it, but I'm like, scientist guild. I'm like, is this like the shipbuilders guild? You know, like what, what (laughs) is this ever (laughs) better thing? Uh, I don't think it's a thing.
1: Yeah. So one of these scientists you know, says, you know, entomb him in a block of concrete, and uh horton's like oh that's that's great that means that i can uh w- when i find uh, a way to let him out with no danger then i'll i'll just simply un you know unearth him essentially and uh so yeah they they make this big like it's almost a, a above ground swimming pool yeah, size full of cement uh full of cement kind of thing yeah that they they put the the human torch in this steel tube inside it inside of a a block of concrete. Right. So. there's
0: no way whatsoever there will be any sort of leak because Professor Horton himself you know, <laughs> sealed it. So there's no way. I mean, we're, we're totally safe. The The story basically ends. That's what you're about to tell me, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay.
1: Um, but then time went by, as you read in the next page, and I love this. It says, Time went by, and everybody had forgotten about the fireman until one morning... There was a terrifying blast and the earth split open and it cuts to, uh, like the next panel is the windows of Horton's nearby home were shattered to bits. He and Horton wakes up in bed and he's like, good heavens. You know, what, what could that be? I wonder, could it be (laughs) like, like, what else could it be? (laughs) Yeah. He goes to his window and he's like, it's the human torch's tomb. Could he have been destroyed? Um, and so this idea of time went by and everybody forgot about the Human Torch, I guess including Horton, but it's close enough to his house to, to destroy his windows. So you know it's like probably on his property. It's something he passes by. He has to mow around this uh, concrete block, you know, when. <laughs> Like he, it's it's in his life. The, <laughs> how do you forget right, about he's this? And, he's the
0: epitome of the absent-minded professor.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, and you're supposed to be using this time to find a cure. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> how do you forget about this? You know, uh, and, and there's no mention of like how long, uh, you know, how much time has has went by. But uh, well, how, how, I found that really weird. And, and again, it's like where's your editor carl you know like who's saying like okay you you have this weird disconnect from this panel to this you know this page to this page and
0: yeah but he said some time past i guess yeah, what yeah. else do you need you know um
1: yeah um so i mean essentially we're back where we started where carl has uh, uh horton has no idea how to control this this character and and the torch is just out on uh, out on the town you know he's there's a guy on fire as Torch passes by, uh, there's a telephone pole on fire and he's kind of having fun with himself. He's like, Oh, I like the sound that the fire truck makes. Um, the, the water that they're spraying me down with, it tickles, you know, like he's kind of, uh, childlike, I think in this, in this way. Yeah, I, I had yeah, innocent. Yeah. He's very
0: innocent, like and 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 yeah. Child likes best better because it's like I was almost like he's very like simple because mm-hmm. everything is new to him. You know, like he's just learning everything for the first time. It doesn't seem to care that it, or realize that burn everything's burning is not really the best until thing. you get to the <laughs>
1: next page and he says, "I I must find a retreat. I've already caused too much damage." It's like so a page goes by and suddenly the. His, I, his characterization changes, you know? Yeah, for for, for
0: somebody who is so childlike and, and doesn't understand what's going on, he knows some complex oh, yeah. words and what exactly that yeah. means as time like goes on. Like later on,
1: he'll know what racketeering is. <laughs>
0: That's a <laughs> you know? case
1: in point. That's exactly okay. what I was thinking um, of. <laughs> yeah. He ends up on this property and he sees a, a swimming, swimming pool and he decides that he's going to uh, melt his way through the bar's of this property and dive into the pool and this is where we meet uh sardo you know this this villainous sardo he's he he's the owner of this mansion or he happens to live there and he is one of his guys like uh his name's red he notices that the the grass around the pool is on fire and sardo is like what are you talking about oh oh Did you say fire? That can only mean one thing. You know, he's, he's got the the newspaper and it's talking about the human torch. And, you know, so Sardo like instantly knows, you know, I've got the human torch in my pool and tells, uh, tells red, you know, cover the pool with the winter, the glass, uh, cover the, the, what does he say? Uh, uh, yeah, get that, get the winter glass cover that fits the pool, draw the air out and then drain the water. Hurry. Don't ask any questions. So you cut to, you know, you got Human Torch. Uh, Now he's deflamed because there's no air. Uh, He's in the pool. It's all the water has been, you know, drained out. You know, that's an easy, quick process. You know, how could the torch get out of this pool while the water is being drained? (laughs) Um, uh, You know, it's silly. silly. I have (laughs) to keep reminding myself these books are written for, for kids, you know, and it's children, it's a yeah. hard thing to remember when you're kind of reading this stuff as a thirty plus year old person. So,
0: well, because as time went on, they were written for college kids. Yeah, and as time yeah. went on, they were written for yeah. you know uh, middle age men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and then you get this long, like uh, two pages, almost two pages worth of Sardo. He decides, like, okay, I'm going to use the torch to to go to this steel manufacturer. And, and essentially do his racketeering kind of thing, offer him protection, you know, or else I'm going to turn the, the torch loose on you. But it's an entire page devoted to this, and this feels like filler. Um, this, this could have been done in two panels, but instead it's it's a, a full page. It's 12 panels on one page, and then the next page is at least uh, nine just dedicated to the setup of, of this scheme that Sardo is running um, well I, I I thought he had a legitimate business plan for fire insurance <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> the the head of the uh, steel mill did not think so <laughs> no no
1: steel the guy at the Ackman steel I think it is uh yeah tells him just to basically get out of here like i I know what you're trying to do um, I'm not buying it but yeah he gets the, he gets the torch to this uh to this steel warehouse. And then just turns him loose, you know. Breaks the glass cage that they've got around him, and and again, you know, as soon as he comes in contact with oxygen, it's it's flame on time, and he's just just this this warehouse is just just burning all around him, and uh, he the torch is like, I I don't understand. I thought Sardo was trying to help me, and <laughs> I don't know why the torch thinks Sardo was ever trying to help him. Like, I don't know at what point like was there a conversation because there was never a conversation uh essentially as soon as the torch goes into the pool he doesn't speak or talk to anybody between that and and now so there's never a moment of like well come with me torch I'll i'll, I'll help you and, and you know none of that so i guess that's yeah it's it, inbe- well,
0: it's once yeah once he's in the pool and then he and, he and he becomes uh you know human again without actually being on on you know flame yeah. on uh he just kind of assumes he goes oh they must be trying to help me because it, you know he was trying to escape because he was setting everything on fire so he's like oh they're helping me they're yeah. helping me not be on it but and then they get him in a tube mm-hmm. which again he doesn't say hey where are we going yeah. uh we're, we're clearly going somewhere uh but he just acts like well they're keeping me out of the air again so it's just like he just goes along to go along yeah
1: yeah but you don't get any because you're in all that, you're it, it kind of becomes the Sardo show. You know, you're getting all of his, like, the racketeering stuff. And, and I, I wish that we had more internal thoughts or, or stuff with the, the Torch himself, you know.
0: It was more just about getting the Torch back to being the Torch again. Yeah, yeah. It was like a means to an end to get it, you know, to have this whole mm-hmm. misunderstanding that's about to happen, you know.
1: Uh, so torch, I mean, he 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 realizes that he's being. Uh, I mean, he says, "I wonder he might just be a low down racketeer." Yeah, you know, he he figures out <laughs> what what the plan is here, and that he was being used to to burn this place down. So he he takes off. He decides, uh, or I guess this is kind of where he discovers you can kind of, he can kind of fly. He becomes lighter than air when he's fully engulfed and everything. And I guess if he gets hot enough, the the flames go from uh, it says. Uh, the blue and the and the combined red flames made the human torch lighter than air, so he kind of flies off. He, he lands a couple blocks away, and then he says he's going to go after Sardo. You know, he's going to basically take revenge. So he shows up at Sardo's place. Sardo runs off, hides in a uh, secret underground underground lab um,
0: of twelve-inch battleship chromium steel plates that nobody could ever possibly get in.
1: <laughs> I love this because. Sardo took him to a steel, not a steel mill, <laughs> but a steel, you know, place and had to melt down everything and burn the place down. I don't know why Sardo thinks he's safe behind steel and, and Torch just walks through it. I guess that comes a little bit later, but it, it, this is where like, you know, yeah. Sardo runs off. Uh, Torch is just in the mansion. He's the whole place is burning down around him he uh some of sardo's men are running off one jumps into the pool one ducks underneath a car at one point uh where is it
0: well i think what does he say he scalds the crooks in the pool yeah and he burned a guy under the car i mean he's i just mean murdering yeah. guys left and right yeah. as far as <laughs> i
1: i know yeah he, these guys are dead um i didn't expect that in in a book like this i thought I thought this was the era of no one dies, you know, no one gets killed by a comic book character. So this was really surprising to me. Like, you know, one of, one of the goons is like, help the heat's killing me. Um, And then, yeah, uh, Torch says the rat burned all right, or that rat burned all right. And those fellows in the pool won't come up for air. Uh, You know, so just, just no uh, remorse, you know, about killing. That really surprised me. It took me, Um, took me by surprise. And, uh, so this point, you know, Torch goes back into the house. He notices now this steel door that goes into the lab, um, walks right through it. You know, there's not even a a panel of it, like taking a while. He just literally walks right through this, yeah, 12 inch steel, uh, uh, plate or whatever. Uh, hello, rat. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Right. He he announces it and it's very reminiscent of the, the cover. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sardo tosses a bomb at him. Um, it has no effect cause it's like, as it gets close enough to the torch, it just kind of, I guess just melts away almost. Um, and then there's like this standoff between Sardo and torch and he's got this, this tank of, uh, what's it called? Liquidar. Yeah. Tank of liquidar. Don't know what
0: yeah, liquid are, but then they also reference nitro later. Later on, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, which the, one is a guy?
1: <laughs> yeah, and this is more of that. Like you could you could scale this stuff down. You know, take a couple panels out, combine some of this stuff because Horton and the firemen show up, and then at some point, you know, you've go you go from these two having a standoff to suddenly now Torch is near Horton and. Uh, kind of almost diffusing this nitro tank that's about to explode and when that happens the nitro gas just, says, just uh, shoots up and then somehow that affects the torch's flame ability and it kind of gives him the ability to flame on or flame off kind of at will so, so at this point basically the bursting into flames when he comes in contact with oxygen is completely negated
0: yeah, it just needed a, a an outside stimulant yeah. to control it and it turned out it was nitrile.
1: Yeah. And then you cut back to uh, there's, there's weird panel where the cop just shoots uh at at the now deflamed torch, like just shoots him between the eyes and the bullet because he because torch is still hot, it it just melts. Um or kind of It must be really hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, Torch goes back into the, the lab where Sardo has, has been, uh, patiently waiting, uh, you know, conveniently, and, uh, threatens the Torch with another nitro tank, or, or he offers him this nitro tank, sorry, you know, it's like, you give me this, or I'll give you this tank, and, uh, uh, you let me go, you know, um, but then Torch just rushes him and takes the tank anyway, you know, <laughs> and, uh, it is what it is. Um Torch at this point just starts <laughs> to wreck shop. You know, he's just he's throwing, he's burning tables, he's he's flipping stuff over. He's just wrecking this lab. Again, uh, Sardo goes for a, a a weird tank of uh this is a tank of sulfuric acid. And uh, he's going to sneak up behind the torch and I I don't throw it on him, pour it on him. I don't know. It it just the panel says boom it, between Sardo and Torch. It, there's just this, this big boom, you know, bomb blast that says Hurling the tank, it explodes before it even touches the human torch. And then next panel, uh, Torch says, poor fool, killed by his own hand. So the just the bomb blast, I guess, killed uh, Sardo you know, conveniently. Right. And uh, you know, Torch kind of leaves the, the scene, has a little conversation. Oh, he takes this nitro tank Says goes back into the flame to kind of conduct his own little nitro flame experiment, and and this is where he figures out like, oh, okay, I, if I use this nitrogen, I can uh, I can now control the flame. Uh, but then he, he discovers that now it works without the nitro, so he's just now this android that can ignite into flame or turn off the flame at will. Now, so you know that's it's a. It's it's a it's an odd way to it's like this this story is being written panel to panel, you know. It's because yeah. <laughs> you can tell like at the start of this story, Carl doesn't know that he's gonna have the he doesn't want he doesn't know that he wants the torch to to have this flame on flame off ability. But now we're at the end, getting towards the end of the story, and it's like I just kind of want him to be able to do this at will. So we're just gonna write it like oh now I can do it without the nitro. So. Um, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, because they
0: can't have they can't have going around burning everything, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: it's just a weird way to develop a character, kind of uh, in real time as you're reading the character, as you're reading the story. Carl is figuring out what he wants this character to be able to do. So it's it's an odd way to to read a story, and suddenly it's like, oh, I can do this now. Okay, great. And it's definitely one of the
0: longer stories yeah. in this book. So I, I, you know, you do wonder if some of it was padding because that's supposed to be the yeah. main story. Is it? Is it like again? He's literally making up as he go, yeah. <laughs> goes along. Yeah. So um, um, it, there's no real, yeah, f- like like flow to right, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: he's turned himself in basically. You know, he offers himself up to the cops. Uh, he explains that you know that all this stuff. He, he's in front of the judge with Horton there, and he explains all this stuff with Sardo uh, Horton, you know, offers like, Hey, you know, he should be released into my, my custody. I'll be responsible. The judge agrees. And he, I like the judge. He says, uh, ha, he'd probably burn the jail down. Uh, if we didn't. So yeah. I, I like that. So you had to yeah. Let him go. Yeah. yeah. yeah you had to Let him go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, there's this weird panel with, uh, Horton and the torch in the car together. And, uh, Torch says this might interest you Horton I have complete control over the flame and uh Horton's like what <laughs> and this gives him an idea it's like why not just have Horton witness his with a little experiment with the nitrogen and that that gives him the power to do it on or on and off like I, to find out in this car it's just a weird you know choice i, I don't know um again i i think that, you know they're trying to simplify things for for kid readers and i get that uh so I can't, you know, I can't come down too hard on it. It's just f- weird. It's just frustrating to like, I, you could take this, you could simplify this story so easily, uh, you know, with a couple of rewrites, uh, you know, but...
0: Uh, they hadn't quite perfected i don't know well, the, the 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 format i guess yeah is the best way to put it like it, it was still it seemed like it was still new and they were still sticking to the to the like the old newspaper funnies kind of way of yeah. doing things and and it, and like combo books haven't really morphed into so yeah there's definitely some stuff that you could clean up and make make a little bit easier to read even if it is a kid's you know a kid's show yeah Yep. Or you know a kid's comic book. Right. <laughs> I started thinking about all the terrible '80s cartoons I watched. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs>
1: yeah, again, it's it, there's this kind of weird decision to like. Horton has like this internal monologue of like, oh, I, it now that he has control, I can make a fortune through him, and that's a weird character. It, it's not a evil thing. I don't. I don't think with Horton, it's like, I, but I don't know what he. How he plans to use him. Um, so he asks for a demonstration of his abilities, and and Torch kind of throws uh, shows him some tricks, and even and then tells him, you know, we could make make a fortune. And uh, to his credit, Torch is like, you know, I've I've been used before. I didn't like it, and uh, you know, I'm not going to be used by you for gain or for selfish gain or crime. And uh, he just burns a hole in the ceiling and flies off. And <laughs> And that's where it ends, you know, it's, it's, uh, it says next month, another human torch picture action story (laughs) picture action. I like it. It
0: sounds better than funny book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's the end of that, uh, story. Um, all
0: right. All right. So, so do, 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 do we have more to talk about torch Um, or do we, um, want to move on? I kind of talked about like
1: my, you know, kind of overall thoughts, like, there's too much story here. It needed an editor, uh, like I said. You know, I think you could pare down so much of it.
0: Well, There's, I think in retellings that you know it, it's of the of the story, you know, of his origin, if you will. Um, I think they get a little more concise and just yeah, yeah, <laughs> too quick and to the point. Yeah, and, and I, I uh, mean, prob- without reading this, I don't. Th- you're not going to get Sardo's story. I don't think. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, you're probably right about like this is the. Uh, this might be the longest story in the book. Um, I sh- should say, like, the, the book itself, like, it's like 68 pages, I think. Um, it's a big book. It's bigger than, you know, we're used to 22 pages, but this is a magazine. Yeah. You know, this comes out, it's not every month. I think the next issue comes out three months later, maybe. So, you know, you're getting, for your 10 cents, you're getting a lot of content. So Yeah, um, yep. yeah. And, and and lastly, like, the art isn't great uh, in this story, um, you know, no offense to, to Carl Burgos. It's, it's not great art. I, I do like the, uh, the, I, the simplicity of the human torch. You know, he's basically just this red figure with black lines to indicate, you know, flame. Um, and then some, in some points he's like got some, you know, red and, and yellow and orange kind of flames around him and stuff. And, but, uh,
0: yeah, it, it's a cool look, and it's definitely a cool uh, cover. Yeah, you know, oh why, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's why they went with that. It's it's great. Uh, but yeah, the, the the artwork is very simplistic. I mean, there I there's there's better Sunday funnies. You know, yeah. the, the comic comics have better art. Uh, it's still better than anything I could do. But <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, and and again, a lot of that stuff was done quickly on the cheap for the most part, yeah. and and it was you know it was again for kids. It was just it was trash yeah you know entertainment that was just meant to be disposable right. so you know you're not gonna put a lot of time although I mean there's some decent art in this book yeah I think, yeah you know, overall
1: yeah so no I mean that's all I've got really for for that human torch story so um do you want to tell us all about uh submariner
0: yeah yeah I I uh you know I did a little little research on Bill Everett as I you know kind of already spoiled and uh we'll get into it but so the Submariner, uh, he's. It's, I think that's actually the third story in the book. Yeah. Because uh, there, there's an angel story in between, but 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 nobody remembers this angel. There's other angels. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, the Submariner, you know, he was created by Bill Everett, so he he wrote and drew the comic. And I was wondering what you know what exactly is a Submariner. So <laughs> uh, according to Merriam-Webster, a mariner is a seaman or a sailor. A person who navigates or assists in navigating ship, a se- again, a seaman or sailor. Uh, but then I'm like, well, what's a sub? And a sub is often used as a bre- an abbreviation for the act of substitution. One who is submissive, a submarine, or a sandwich, my personal favorite. <laughs> <laughs> when used as a prefix, it's usually defined as under, beneath, below, or less. Hmm. So, uh, so I want to know, okay, well, what, what do people define what a submariner is so according to wikipedia a submariner is a sailor who is a crew member of a submarine hmm. he's a baseball pitcher who pitches with an underhand motion <laughs> a role a a rolex submariner is a rolex watch uh diving watch i believe james bond yeah. has probably worn one or two oh yeah <laughs> that's uh that's i
1: think usually his uh his watch of choice until i've Think until until the they change Yeah, it.
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the Rolex so. Rolex so,
1: Submariner, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so there was an album in 2003 by experimental rock band The Dead Science called The Submariner. Oh, no, not the, just Submariner. There is a song, Submariner, by Helen Marney from 2013 album Crystal World. And of course, last but definitely not least, it's Namor, the Submariner, a comic book character in the Marvel Comics universe. So. I would go with, for our purposes, the the proper definition is Namor. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, so right, all right. So according to Marvel Comics number one, though, which is this issue we're talking about, uh, they they actually explain what the Submariner is: an Ultraman of the deep, yeah. lives on land, in the sea, flies in the air, has a strength of a thousand men, is a youth of a dynamic personality, quick though and fast. Well, oh, I did, I wrote though. Quick thought and fast action. I have not quick thought. <laughs> I have quick though. I'm like Anchorman. I'll just read whatever's on the page. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's a submariner. Now, uh, before I get into the story, actually, I, I uh, let me just jump into Bill Everett a little bit. So we know he's a man of the deep, and he's a strong, <laughs> strong man. So. Well, Bill Everett, so he created the Submariner. Now, he, he had an interesting childhood. So let me get into his, the legend behind Bill Everett creating Submariner oh, before yeah. I get into his actual history. So Bill Everett was asked uh, in an interview before, uh, you know, where he got the idea for this comic. Well, he said he, he said he got a job on a seagoing tramp, if you will, that went to uh, be, it ran between Maine and Florida. And he, he may have possibly been a merchant marine. Um, so one day he was a, he was a Florida hurricane, basically he hit their ship, spun the ship all about, and Bill was driving it, but, but because he was needed for a different task and there was a stronger man there, the, the strong guy took the wheel and he was supposed to climb up, I forget what it's called, up to the, up to the crow's nest up there, uh, to reattach some cables so they could call from help. The storm had knocked it down. Uh, but basically while he was up there trying to fix this antenna, which he did, uh, he was blown from his perch, and luckily he grabbed a rope, but while he was kind of like uh, swinging there, he started losing his grip, and he started to fall. He just felt this presence. Uh, something kind of just seemed to grab and take hold of him and lifted him back up to his perch. But when he looked to see, no one was there. <laughs> None. Um, so so Bill was asked, you know, no, he said, well, he was sitting up there, though he thought of this ancient poem um where he thought of the poem, the ancient Mariner by uh, Coleridge. Uh, I'm not familiar with that as a, as a host. I'm failing. I failed to look (laughs) up (laughs) that poem. I should have, uh, I assume it has to do with the sea, (laughs) but Bill believes that poem in his experience, um, had him, uh, create the title Submariner. And he says to this day, he doesn't know what saved him, but he believes that it was the Submariner who saved him. Um, in all actuality, it sounds like that's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> if I can, if I if I can just call it out right there, I don't believe Bill Everett was ever in the Merchant Marines, although he claimed it. <laughs> he he, I, as we already talked about, he was in the service. He joined. He was in the service from uh, forty two to forty six. I even believe he went to Officer Candidate School at first, um, and and he. He, he was a part of the occupation force in uh, the Pacific after leaving the European theater. He went over to uh, the Pacific as an occupation force for a while, and then and he met his wife while he's in the service hmm. and all that. Um, so yeah, he did he did serve his country, but he he wasn't part of the Merchant Marines. As a matter of fact, he um <laughs> is I just say some uh, fun facts about uh, you know Bill Everett. His full name is William Blake Everett. That is important because of his lineage, his family history. So he's a descendant of Edward Everett. He was the former Harvard U uh, president. He was a uh, governor of Massachusetts, and he was also U.S. Secretary of State huh. uh, at one point. It, it, in fact, he's the namesake of the city or town everett massachusetts oh, okay so yeah a very prominent family he comes from and yeah. a very early part you know they said his family was part of uh massachusetts for the past 300 years mm. um but also he's a descendant of the poet william blake so he's got um some some famous people on on his you know his family so that's where his namesake is from is william everett blake or william blake everett but you know the reason I say I don't think he was in the Merchant Marines is because he contacted tuberculosis as a child and he bounced between Arizona and Massachusetts uh, most of his life because he went out twice he went out to Arizona to live for for a good portion of his life uh, they the first time they thought that tuberculosis was under control and so they went back home to Massachusetts but it it, it reoccurs so he went back out to Arizona cuz apparently the the um climate it helps people with that that's why uh you know doc holiday was yeah. even out there <laughs> I've I've heard of I,
1: those types of communities you know and it, it specifically with Arizona um there was I forget what the disease is but there's a community where like they it might be uh oh, crap what's that uh story about the two kids that they made a movie about it a couple of years ago uh, regardless, like two kids that, that can't be like, can't come in contact with each Six other apart because or like yeah, that. yeah. You have to stay yeah, apart yeah. because you'll yeah. you have two people well, that's with now, this disease. That's everybody now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. I think it's like cystic fibrosis or something like that, where you can't be in contact yeah. with another person with that disease because you'll get each other even worse. Um, but so there's this community in Arizona where essentially you live in this house by yourself in a kind of in a community of other people with similar affliction. Uh,
0: yeah, see, I, I, I couldn't help you. I know you were drowning there a yeah, little yeah. bit in the submariner. I was no submariner there to help you.
1: <laughs> I, I did uh, not because... feel a presence as if someone yeah. was there to help me. You, you really let, yeah, just let me wither and let me flop around on the deck on that one.
0: Right. It said you looked around and no one was there.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, you're talking about teenage doom romances. I was like, I, I, I know you're talking Fault in Our Stars. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, oh, oh there you go. See, I do know it. <laughs> oh, well. See, well, a little late on the uh, the mm. bailout there. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, speaking of teenagers and, and the problems that they have, Bill Everett was actually a teenage alcoholic. He he was an alcoholic, I think, most of his life. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. He... Um, he was a high school dropout uh, his parents sent him to like a private school you know or a private art school he dropped out of that too uh, but yeah he did he did a complete that's I think I mentioned earlier he did about half of the three-year program in, at the art school in New York um so uh, just one little interesting one of his pen names was Bill Roman and and, and, and name is huh? Roman spilled backwards <laughs> and again and, and like Bill everett you know because we were talking about pen names, well, Bill Everett, being a blue blood of Massachusetts, which shouldn't have had any issue using his own name. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's not like he's trying to hide his his heritage, really. If pro- if anything, it's a, it's a it's probably a, a blessing for him to be able to use. Hey, you know, <laughs> family's kind of important, you know. Uh, give me a job. So, yeah. but he he did have multiple pseudonyms, and and Bill Roman was one. I think it's just some of the stuff that people did at the time.
1: You yeah, know? it it could be similar to the the. Legend of Stan Lee, you know, he, he saved he Stan Lee Lieber for when he writes the great American novel, you know. So right. for, for these silly kids books, he'll use Stan Lee. So it could be something similar. It could be pressure from his family of like, do not put our family name on, on these silly books that you're, <laughs> you know and that, that could know. have
0: happened although' it's, i I do believe his family it did encourage him oh, okay. uh, you know in his artistic because they knew this, the school really just wasn't for him he sure. was a he he kind of was um he was described as cocky in fact he got fired from one of his jobs for being too cocky <laughs> uh he bounced around a lot he had a couple different you know job, jobs before ultimately landing at Centaur you know he uh, he did some some odd work for newspapers and stuff like that yeah. before finally going to um, Centaur Publishing where he created Amazing Man, which was, um, I believe, uh, pretty well received at the time. In fact, I, I saw an interview with, geez, now, no, who was it? It wasn't Gil Kane, but they were interviewing.
1: I'm going to let you um, flop around on this one. Yeah,
0: see, there I know, see, <laughs> and I could look it up, but I don't want to take the time. But, you know, they it was basically some, some comic creators in the 70s who were, you, Bill Everett was one of his idols mm-hmm. and so they were interviewing him and they, they talked about the amazing man work and how good it was and stuff like that so i, I you know i believe it was fairly well received but mm-hmm. from there that's what we already discussed a lot of those guys left Sent uh you know centaur and went to funny zinc and that's where you know submariner sure. was created but um yeah you know, again i hinted at this this earlier too this was not the first actual appearance of submariner it is the official, Marvel Comics number one is the first official appearance of, of Namor, the Submariner. Uh, nobody's going to really argue that. However, he was, this was not originally supposed to be packaged uh, with Marvel Comics. This was actually going to be part of a movie theater giveaway called Motion Pictures Funnies Weekly with the intent of the movie theater chains would come up with a really cheap comic book and Give it to the kids each week in hopes that that's one of the reasons they would come back hmm. each week is to find it out. Okay. And this, it, and so Namor was to be the star of that comic. Um, it just stalled, and they never gave a yeah. reason why it stalled, it just didn't happen. Uh, but a few printings did make it to some theaters, so that's why it's like. Technically, yeah, yeah, you know, he, he, he had another publication, but it never went anywhere. Now, because of what was going on with Funny Inc. and Martin Goodman, they added four additional pages, which you can clearly tell uh, <laughs> <laughs> where the delineation is. And it, it appeared in with the other strips uh, for Marvel Comics number one. And of course, we, you know, we talked about what a huge hit it was. Um, and I, I definitely think Submariner and uh, the human torch were were two of the main reasons why sure because honestly, these are the ones that lasted from this book <laughs> so uh, I mean feel free to jump in with any comments, yeah, yeah. but I'll just kind of go ahead and and explain you know the gist of this story so
1: I'll just right off the bat like turning the page from the angel story that was before this to to this submariner, I was blown away by the art the yes. For me, yes. like even the name, the headline, the Submariner, like that looks like just some cool graphic design. The way the Submariner's written, it's got this big, bold, white outline. But even like this book, this this story has shading that the other uh, previous two stories of, of, you know, Human Torch and, and the Angel had no shading. Um, this is I love this artwork. Yet
0: the, the panels are actually set up like a more traditional comic that we're used to as well instead of the the funnies book of the angel where it's like, you know, three, three, three. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's it's very much like I'm looking directly at the reader and, and stuff like this where this, this looks like what you would think a comic book looks like. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as some of the shading, I know they tried to use a lot of like black ink and stuff like that to uh, show the depth of the sea. And unfortunately, because of the printing at the time, it 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 smudged together a lot of times. Now we're, you know, I'm looking at this on the Marvel app, and it looks amazing, you know. But but you know, through the printing process, some of it did get not you know as intended because there's a lot of black lines for the for for the depth of the sea. But even when you're looking at the, the the men who are just regular humans, um, on, you know, the, the, the sea going folk. I mean, they, they just look different than the standard fare that you get from the, from the other funnies, if you will.
1: The, of the first page of this story, the bottom right, there's a guy lighting up a cigarette. And for some reason that, that image of the guy with the cigarette, it reads to me so much of when, Bruce Wayne is playing matches Malone in the uh in the Batman the anim- animated series like <laughs> I just get that vibe from him and it just because that that artwork is so great in that yeah. show and it's like that that's what this guy reads to me and it just because they're shading on his face like his part of his face is is in shadow and yeah that's like throughout this story and I, I just loved it
0: Yeah. And that, you know, of course in that series, they use like the black paper to give it that darker look. Yeah. yeah. It was very, um, noir and, and it was, you know, it it was indicative of some of these comics of the time. It wasn't, it wasn't a very modern look. I don't think, even though it was so awesome, Yeah, like it, it kind of, it was a throwback to something like this. So I can see why you would make that connection. Um, but the, the story is, pretty decent you know we get we get the first blurb uh, that i read about what the submariner is and you just see him kind of in in the depths of the ocean with with uh yellow hair on my head he's he's yeah, a blondie yeah. first time you see him he's blonde um yeah <laughs> i i have i have some thoughts on that but <laughs> <laughs> but basically there's uh you know a deep sea diver uh, from the a salvage ship the ss recovery which I believe is a little on the nose. Yeah,
1: a little bit. <laughs> really, really stretching hard for that one.
0: I wonder what they do.
1: Yeah. He said, he went. you know, they went down to a ship that had
0: been scoping out, but it was cleared out. And they said, well, that's, that's weird because no other ships have been in the area. Uh, but he said, no, but somebody must have been there because there was a, a knife that was left there, and it, it hasn't been there. It couldn't have been there long because there was no rust is basically what yeah. I'm getting at. And, and basically, the captain explains, well, there's no other ships in the area for three years. Nobody's been working this. And for the last week, we've been set out here. So where did this knife, knife come from? So he sends uh, this guy. His name's Nelson. He sent another guy down with him to go investigate or like, something's there. So when they get down there... They see there's an open door that they, he's like, are you sure you didn't leave this open? He's like, hey, trust me, I didn't leave it open. <laughs> so, and they see a swimmer, quote unquote. So they decide to follow him because they were like, "What? what's, you know, what's that? They go to investigate. Uh, but the, the swimmer that we see, which we'll learn is Namor himself, with, not with red hair. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, blue skin. <laughs> blue
1: skin, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, I do I do give him because when we see him outside the water, he is not blue skin. Right. So I I do believe this was an attempt to show the different um darkness of the of the of the ocean basically, sure. you know, yeah, like yeah. it's it's the water reflecting. But there's also possibly, you know, that the printing from pa- panel to panel wasn't the best. So <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we got a blondie, now we get a redhead, so clearly he's from like
1: Ireland. Yeah. We do find out his last name, so yeah, maybe. I think he's Canadian, actually. But take off, eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs>
0: so um, he goes there, and he and he's like, "Oh, look at these mechanical guys!" Because you know these are old school yeah. diving suits with the with you know it's a circle helmet, and they got the little uh, vent in front of the, the the glass that you have to kind of open to talk, and and then there's the um, uh, the cables that go up and down so that they have telephone wires so they can talk to each other.
1: Yeah, he thinks and they're they robots. Yeah,
0: yeah, he thinks they're robots. So he cuts their, he cuts their, their co- cables <laughs> so that oh, they can't man. get away. <laughs> so now they can't talk, yeah. they can't get to the surface, you know. So they, um, so basically, Namor just stabs one dude. <laughs> he just, just out. Oh, he's a robot. He's not going to let robots take over the sea. So he stabs him and then he crushes with his bare hands the helmet around the head of the other guy.
1: Oh man, just so brutal. And this is like shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. This is, (laughs) this is how I felt, you know, after torch burns the, the one guy under the car and lets the other guy just, you know, drown himself basically in, in the, the pool. It's like, it's just Namor is just savage. He just violently, stabbing this one guy um, yeah, right and, well
0: cuz cuz like torch does it almost with glee cuz like they had it coming they were scumbags right. and they were criminals and I will punish you namor just comes up and it was like oh these are robots i just murdered <laughs> two people because i thought they were robots and yeah. savagely like so okay so if they if he thought they were a robot though now the crushing their head makes sense but stabbing them yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs> These mechanical men, mm. uh, but seeing the distress from the bubbles and not getting any response from the uh, the men below, the the captain is like, "We need to get out of here." You know, we just, we just need to get out of here. So they they go to leave. Um, oh, actually, wait, well, does he, yeah, send no, he sends
1: a? He no sends other guy yeah, down. Sorry, yeah. sends like has, two more,
0: I think. Yeah, that's what it was. He sends them down to reco- to investigate because they're like they sent Anderson down that's what it was oh, he sent, yes and he sees the bodies that's what it was yeah that's there there was a whole series of events so he goes down sees the bodies and that he gets he said risking the bends he gets the heck up there yeah and and then he once he gets up there he reports and look he's he's actually from the decompression chamber. that's how quickly he got up he was he was legitimately having issues <laughs> so um but this another thing I like about the story is those little details like that they could have had him just swim up to the top and be like, Hey, there's somebody down here. No, it's like risking the bends. Like they get into a little bit of like actual deep sea diving. Sure. So, yeah. uh, for a little kid's book here. So yeah, he reports that, look, they're, they're, these guys are dead. And, uh, and so they decide that they need to get out of there and report this to the coast guard. Uh so the the ship tries to get out of there, but the submariner Amor has other plans and basically just grabs the propeller with his bare hand and he with his other one he takes the rudder and he just the shi- he just basically ram- eventually ends up ramming the ship into like a, a reef or a bunch of a, a, like an island of rocks or yeah, something yeah. that was just out
1: there. Just runs uh, I heard on, it was, runs it aground, Yeah,
0: yeah. I I mean I saw it, to me it was like a, just rocks. You know, it could yeah. have been a little thing out in the ocean or a little, but I've heard that he ran it into a wreath. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So either, either way it works The, the ships out of commission. He completely splits it in two because they try to do it like a full stop before he does that. And he just completely rams it. Um, And so, so after that, Namor goes back down and retrieves the bodies uh, of his fallen mechanical men. And he takes <laughs> him back to this green catfish looking guy. Who's yeah. clearly like a King. Um, I think he's like a religious kind of re- leader, almost. Um, <laughs> the, the way yeah, it says
1: like a chapel like chamber. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. He, and he's they they never call these guys Atlanteans. No. Um, no. That that comes. I read that, that that actually doesn't come till the Fantastic Four. Oh, okay. Uh, but for all and this guy gets a name, which um, I wish I wrote it down um, because he will eventually get a name. He just doesn't hear, and he doesn't get one for a while. Sure. Um, so it's it's, but we can just we, we, for for ease of the conversation. This is Atlantis. <laughs> These are yeah. Atlanteans. You know, yeah, yeah. he's um. It, but in this, it's like Namor's the only like all the women kind of look like human women. Yeah. But all the Atlanteans look like catfish people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they got the long kind of mustache, kind of looking thing. Mm-hmm. So uh you know namor basically reports to this guy and and he says he is um he is a little shocked to learn that he didn't kill any mechanical men, that he actually killed earthmen as they call them and then we meet his mom whose name is fen and she's very pleased uh, with with finding out that he killed some earth men yeah. as a matter of, in fact, but wouldn't these guys be earth men too? Because they are, they are from earth.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: They're just the, the Naboo, you know, at yeah, and, yeah. Naboo and the Gungans basically at this point, <laughs> but his mom's like, yeah,
1: kind of. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's the a circle. Can't they see? The...
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm. Now, now, and, and, and now in this, these panels too, Namor's, he's all green, you know, everybody looks green. And, but then in like the next, literally the next page, they're blue. Yeah. And So it,
1: it's. Does his hair color? Yeah. Okay. So he's yeah. still got blonde hair on both of the, whether he's green or blue in these two pages, he's still blonde. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, and I can't tell if they,
0: because when you see Namor outside, he is, and it's same with his mom, they look blue, but they're not blue when they're, when they're out of the water. Right. So. I don't know if this is just coloring mistakes, if he's trying to show, again, the different light reflecting in the ocean or, you know, just how, how why why the change. Uh, I'm, I'm, it could be either way. But he clearly, I just, it's, as a reader, it's funny. Yeah. Because you're like, well, one minute he's a redhead, next minute he's a blonde. He's blue one minute, he's green another. I'm going yeah. with the ocean, you know, it looks yeah. funny when you're, you're it plays that far Plays with the, far the
1: light, down. yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, so you know, so his mom is super pleased, and so then we go into a rendition of "How I Met Your Father" from <laughs> Namor's mother, and uh, the year was 1920. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, uh, what do we what do they say about 19 years earlier? Yeah. Uh, so, so Namor's about 19. He's about right. He's a little hot head. Um, his father was Commander Leonard Mackenzie of the American ship Oracle, and they basically went to. Uh, the South Pole, which Namor's people was their their like society was right below that. Yeah. So the, I don't, I never got the intention that what the Americans do, although <laughs> uh, uh, was intentional. You know, no but they basically because of scientific exploration they destroy the homes of the people yeah. beneath the sea with explosives.
1: Yeah, they're just like chucking explosives over the over depth charges. Yeah. Uh, basically, yeah. No, I know, I don't I don't think that they're trying to wipe out this underwater civilization. It's just a I'm
0: just not uh, sure what they're studying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you
0: think they're going after, like, Mudos or <laughs> Titans or anything like that? Like Maybe? It just seems like <laughs> they're trying to do a hollow Earth expedition. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's never explained. I guess it doesn't matter. Because we're hearing it from the Atlanteans' point right. of view, though. So it's, yeah, like, yeah. scientific in quotes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, so, so because she was, she basically resembled a white woman, as they put it. uh, She was sent as a spy. Yeah. And she went, and she basically she she was sent to use her feminine wiles, is the way I took it. Yep. But she stole away. She stole away on the ship, and uh, she met Ca- uh, Commander McKenzie, and she was sick from all the food. And this is this is actually a little funny bit where he kept trying to give her food. Yeah. And and uh, it, it made her sick. Um. Uh, and then she was nearly suffocating in all the clothes that he kept giving to her because right. it's the South Pole and she's freezing and she's like half naked. But she keeps giving her clothes, but she hates it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But she, so it's like this little, uh, it reminded me a lot of like Splash, almost like a little. Sure. <laughs> but, but, you like a little, you know, like,
1: little sh- dose of like uh, Aquaman, you know, his father being a. Uh, lighthouse keeper and meeting uh, his mother, the queen of Atlantis or whatever. It's kind of yeah. a similar enough uh, origin.
0: Pretty similar. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um,
0: yeah, I, I did like the little part that where it's like, well, they couldn't understand each other, but to yeah. me, I'm like, they understood the language of love. That's so. what I was going <laughs> to
1: say. They, they know how to communicate one way. <laughs> yeah. Just like splash. <laughs> so, um,
0: yeah. And then, uh, but, but I guess every like five, they, she explains every five hours, they have to get back into the water,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So but it didn't explain like, do they just have to get wet or do they have to like literally go to the ocean? Um, yeah. So I, it's five- I imagine
1: that's one of those rules that will be, you know, will come and go like as needed as, as the story dictates, I'm sure we'll get, you know. I changed.
0: do think that that will come into play later a little bit, actually, mm. um, that is something you and I will probably talk about on this podcast. So I won't say any more, Uh, but I do think it comes up or at least it plays some sort of factor, but basically she, she ended up marrying Namor's father, uh, this commander McKenzie, but she was still spying. Uh, So back in Atlantis, they not named Atlantis. (laughs) Uh, It was, they tried to attack, uh, but they were defeated. And it took about twenty years, she said. So yeah, so about you know nineteen years later, his little Namor comes around for them to be able to rebuild. And she said, you know, we have to. They had to rebuild their population basically. So yeah. they really got wiped out. <laughs> <laughs> and Namor being in both worlds, she explains, uh, was it would be perfect to uh, fly in and attack uh, the land of the white men. As, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That comes up a lot, it a does. lot more than I expected.
1: I, yeah, that took me by surprise too. But it's like, yeah, I guess, I guess these uh, Atlanteans are, are not, you know, they're they're certainly most of them are blue or green or whatever. So they do see the surface men as being the white men, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. and and you know, and and in this book, not specifically America, but I think actually in yeah. the next in the next issue, they say, "No, I'm taking my fight to America," you know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah <laughs> so. they do. <laughs> so, um, well, so right there, you know, basically when his mom proclaims that you know he's going to go forth and take his you know uh, fight to the white man, that is where I believe the original story ended. Okay, because it's it's a hero pose. He's got his knife, and it's like that perfect ending panel that you see in a lot of comics yeah where, okay. where it was a little bit of dialogue and it would have basically say the and you know or, or tune in next time to well, whatever
1: there's there, in in this marvel app there's even a green box at the bottom that clearly should have text inside of it that probably yep. says you know tune in next issue you know yeah
0: and i didn't catch that and i am looking right at it it's you see, Bill Everett signs his name yep. just like they do at the end. Yep. Like it's basically a pinup. The last panel is basically a yep. pinup, and it's like, stay tuned for the exciting adventures of this guy. And you're right; they blocked it out, and so it, and then it literally goes into another four pages. Well, learning what I learned, that it was an eight page for the motion picture yeah. funny. They they added they added four more. Boom! It's in Marvel Comics number one. Okay. Now we get a dark haired. <laughs> namor with blue skin and his cousin's kind of reddish hair and his yep. cousin's na- not namora it's dorma right yeah uh, i think namor's real name was greg so this was like the dormant and greg show <laughs> nice okay thank you <laughs> thank you for your pity laugh yeah
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh so basically he ba- he takes his cousin namora um and he with him, and she said, "Well, you know." he's like, you, "You can't, you can't come. This is, you know, you don't have the strength for this." She said, "Well, I want to come." So they're going to take their fight to the white man, and so she does actually come along until they find a lighthouse. Yeah. Um, so their idea is to destroy the lighthouse so that ships will be endangered. This is the first salvo in their war on servicemen is to damage their lighthouse. So, but right from there, this is like the action-packed bit of the (laughs) of the of the book and it you know what the art i think it looks a lot less uh dynamic than the other i i feel like this was rushed it's a little
1: simpler yeah
0: yep yeah it's it's more in line with the simpler comics uh panels of of the other ones like the angel or something like that Yeah, and and i the art is not as i kind of took it at first i'm like well they're they're above land but when I realized that these were the four add-on pages, I'm like, no, no, no. Right. He did this in a hurry.
1: I, it still looks good. Look at like how much dialogue and how much exposition is in the rest of the book. And then, yeah, when you get to this uh, action scene, um, they're coming up to this lighthouse, and this one page, like it, there, there's barely any dialogue. And, it, and it's an action scene, so you don't need a lot of um, dialogue. But it's it's a stark difference that I didn't notice really at first. Because I didn't r- realize the 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 adding of the four pages, but now it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, it, it's yeah. clear. It's clear that it's, it's an add on, but it it's entertaining. Sure. Yeah. Basically, he goes up to the lighthouse door, <laughs> knocks on the door. The guy answers him. Boom! Right, <laughs> a, cold right in the right kisser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and neighbor's no, you know, he's no slouch. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's um, he, that guy's probably had a glass jaw. And went right down. So mm. he just he starts messing with the instruments, and and the more is trying to. Well, she gets kidnapped. Actually, she gets yeah. taken, captured right yeah. away. So Namor leaps to to save her. He does a lot of leaping here. There's a guy mm-hmm. trying to shoot him, and he, fly, he more or less flies up to the top of the lighthouse to get the guy. More well, about halfway up, and who's shooting at him. And eventually, they do make it to the top of the lighthouse. I mean, he's just he's just punching guards left and right mm-hmm. as he go up that winding staircase, though.
1: Again, with the strength of a thousand men, he's punching these dudes in the face. Like, yeah, he's murdering
0: these dudes <laughs> yeah, in the face right absolutely. now. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and but but it still reads as very juvenile to me. Oh yeah, because it's like, come on, we're gonna go like they're they're basically their first salvo of this war is to vandalize, you know, like that's what it it, it seems so simple and childish to me.
1: Guerrilla tactics, you know? Yeah.
0: (laughs) So he breaks the lighthouse and then uh, I guess more like the coast guard or the Navy shows up. So where they, you know, I don't exactly know how they got there so fast. I guess the guys did try to radio for help. Um, So Namor spots, a a biplane, you know, a, a seaplane, I should say. And he just leaps about. What do you say? Uh, he, he grabs Dorma and he just flies up in the air. Basically,
1: yep. he grabs the plane, punches the pilot. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because she has uh little winges on her feet too. You know. Yeah. He. I. I don't know. I.
0: I don't know if it's just maybe he's stronger. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess. You know, because yeah. he's half human. Yeah. And and he puts her. You know, he puts her in a plane, and he says, "All right, you know, go back home." Um. Crash the plane, <laughs> yeah, and swim home, which is great because when she he asked, he says, "Can you fly this thing?" And she said, "Fly, yes; land, no."
1: <laughs> nice. So yeah. it
0: works out great, yeah. and so then and then we get the ending of this is Namor dives into the ocean, and so Namor dives into the ocean again on his way to further his adventure in his crusade against the white men, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's how it ends. Yeah. It, it, and it's almost like to me, like it's kind of like a cliffhanger because you're like, well, what's he going to do next? Um, it, it didn't. It didn't seem like as much of a natural ending as I think the original ending was, where it's like, no. you, you get a story now, go forth, son, into the world. <laughs> this is like, I did go forth into the world. Now tune in next week to see what else I do. You
1: yeah. Know? The the whole idea of like, uh, why send her in the plane to? crash land you know into the ocean later why not just have both of them dive into the water like i guess it's he doesn't want her to stay with him yeah um, she's
0: supposed to go back home but they yeah. could have they, they could have easily just got into the ocean and swum away yeah. i think they needed something a little more dynamic yeah you know, I, I still got to do another page. Oh, there's a plane. Yeah, Let's right. you fly and and you don't don't worry about landing. Just crash it because who yeah. cares? You know. And then he could swim. And and yeah. I mean that's really it. I mean, well as we we kind of hinted at next issue, he does make it to New York City and does a whole lot of murder. And oh man, uh, uh, <laughs> so um I, I didn't like the the second issue as much as the first. I really ended up, sure. I really did like this first issue, even though Namor is you know basically a bad guy
1: yeah i wasn't uh expecting that i mean i i'll I'll say it now like i've never liked namor as a character um he's always just been this arrogant just pompous jerk you know and and i think that's how he's meant to be it's not just uh i don't think it's just me like that's how he's kind of written he's he thinks he's superior. He's better than everybody else. And then uh Yeah, that's in, that's
0: the it's his character. He's yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he's a
1: monarch. It it's he yeah. it
0: reminds me a lot of the way um eventually they would write Quicksilver. Sure. Where he's just kind of a jerk for being yeah, yeah. a jerk, you know.
1: But I really I never knew he was originally gonna be portrayed as a villain. Um the way especially the second issue, the story that's in there with him. And yeah, he's, he's murdering cops, you know, he's like pitching, uh, cop cars and crushing people with him. And I think the end of that story even says like, you know, tune in next time to see what other, what, what evil deeds Namor, you know, gets into. It's like, Oh, okay. So he's meant to be, uh, a bad guy. uh, Um, yeah, I the way
0: the way i thought i knew eventually they kind of portrayed him as being a little bit of an anti-hero yeah. or you know and i do know that like when he comes when he meets like the fantastic four later in in life like he's right. he's an antagonist
1: yeah yeah
0: and i i considered him an antagonist i never realized that he was meant to be basically a villain
1: you yeah, know, <laughs> that was a genuine surprise for me. Um,
0: yeah, I Namor, I have a complicated history with I've never I liked him on the Avengers. I, you know, he'll go on to do bigger and greater things. I kind of yeah. like that he hooked back up with the X-Men being right. They, they don't talk about it here, but he is um, considered the first mutant of the Marvel Universe. So we this until is, you this
1: introduce is the, apocalypse and then <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly but as
0: far as yeah. you know as far as publication wise uh, we this is the birth of of mutants of the X Men yeah uh, eventually you know it's all here <laughs> we don't know that yet but <laughs> they um, don't know that yet either yeah yeah, yeah. for sure <laughs> uh, but uh, Namor I I like his I like him kind of. Like when they do the Illuminati stuff, and mm-hmm. he's—it makes sense that he would be considered somebody that they need. Yeah, he's the king of the sea. Like he's powerful, and he's been involved with all these superhero teams. That like, he is somebody that they would want his counsel, sure, or his, his decision making because he can also do it go alone if needed. <laughs> he's he controls the, the oceans, and and he's not—he's pretty formidable. So yeah. But that's all I have for 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 to the you know, Submariner.
1: Cool, I, I really like this story. I think this was probably I think I liked it a little bit better than the the Torch story. I'd certainly like the art better for sure. Like I yeah, said.
0: I um, think it's the best the best of the issue to just
1: you know show yeah. my hand a little bit. Um, I guess that's probably gonna do it for this uh, this issue this episode. Um, I think next episode we're gonna do kind of the three part arc of uh marvel comics is it seven through seven eight
0: nine yeah i couldn't remember if it was seven eight nine or if it's eight nine ten okay i think they Um, might
1: like tease it in seven and then it's it's like eight nine and ten it's basically it's it's the first meeting of namor and human torch yeah we figured
0: we we each took a guy this time and now we're gonna pick a side now okay yeah yeah, we did our, uh, you know, we we did our, you know, the separate they had their separate stories, and now we're gonna have our Kong versus Godzilla, our yeah. Batman v Superman, uh, yeah, you know that that type, or Freddy versus Jason. We get yep. we get the, um, I mean, as we've said that this is the birth of the Marvel universe right, right. here, sort of. Yeah. it's a comic book. It's the, it's the birth of Marvel comics. Sure, the Marvel universe will get created next episode, right? F- for our purposes, for when these two meet for the first time. Yeah and i'm looking forward to that cuz i've uh, never read it. I haven't I've read never... it
1: either. I've uh i think what i'm going to do between now and then i'm going to keep reading the marvel comics so that i have the at least the the torch and namor stories. Uh so i have that background and then i'll uh you know I'll obviously read the three part kind of story of the crossover of the two characters. So so yeah, if you want to do your homework uh listeners, you know check out, uh, we'll post it in the, in the show notes, whether it's seven, eight, nine or eight, nine, and 10. <laughs> but, uh, if you want to, if you want to read, you know, and, and I think it goes without saying we're heavily, uh, endorsing the Marvel unlimited app for, for all of this. Like it's all available on there. So that's where, that's what yeah. we're using. Um, send us some money, Marvel, cause we're, we're going to be promoting you guys big time. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, this is all this is all generated from our our love of Marvel yeah. and our discussion of Hey, have you checked this out on the Yeah, app? yeah, yeah, and it's and here we are yep. starting from the very beginning. That's right. But again, we're not, as you said, we're not going to go each issue by each yeah. issue. We'd never be done. Yeah. So we're going to hit the you know our, our as we stated, our mission goal is to hit the big stuff. Yep. You know,
1: big character and, introductions and, and and big events. So and yeah. certainly next episode we're going to talk about a big event. So
0: yeah, that's going to be great. Yeah. Ding, ding. Um,
1: <laughs> um uh, until then, you know, we're, we're all over social media, uh, at Marvel uh, or sorry. Yeah. At Marvel events pod on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, I don't know if we're going to have a Facebook group, but probably we'll have a Facebook group. And, and if so, that'll be in the show notes as well. So yeah. making a lot of homework for myself and in, in these show notes. <laughs> that <laughs> There you go, yeah, so uh, I think until next time I've been Travis beau. I don't know how we're gonna sign off these episodes, so
0: yeah and uh, I'm Brian Lockhart and' Wolf, I'm sure that something will naturally come up and then it'll be our thing and if, so yeah. until then make my marvel or uh, excelsior no. yeah
1: <laughs> yep. something like that <laughs> face face front true believers. <laughs> Come back next time for the continuing journey with Travis and Brian. Until then, join the conversation over at Facebook.com slash groups slash Marvel Events Timeline.
0: On Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Events Pod, or email the show at pod at
1: gmail.com.